Hello, everyone. This is Ricky, and you're listening to River City Church Talks, where we will take a deeper dive into the happenings, the coming ups, and the yets to be. Join me as I sit down with our pastors, ministers, and leaders and talk River City. Today, we are joined once again with lead pastor Jason Powers. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a good Monday morning. It is. Um, the birds are chirping. The sky is blue. It's just been a good good morning so far. I like it. So we record this on Monday, and it gets released on Thursday. Is it that does. right? Yep. So there's a lot that can happen between now and then. Yep. And there's a lot of grace that has to be given. Grace. A lot of love that needs to be shown. Yep. But, I you know, every, every day is a new day. And um, if we started off at the feet of Jesus, you know, we're starting it off right. Um, you mentioned last week that that's where the process starts. And you yep. reiterated that this week that, you know, the process starts at the feet of Jesus. And if we're not doing that, then everything is for naught. Yeah. Um, Whatever takes us away from that place is not adding to the process, but it's a distraction. However, otherwise noble it may be. And it's not saying that that's of zero value. It's just not of ultimate value in the process of discipleship. Right. And the process that um, you mentioned is not a linear process. It's not like changing your spark plugs like you made the illustration yesterday yes, that you had to open the, open the hood and then find the spark plugs, take the wires off and, and, and so on and so on. The process is all kind of combined. You have to yep. start at the feet of Jesus and you don't ever leave the feet of Jesus. I think about it like, um, like a telescope, right? How it collapses and how you squeeze it. And so there's the one where you you know, the eyepiece part is thin and it's narrow um, and it's very specific. It's the eyepiece, right? And so when you collapse it, all those pieces go on top of it. Uh, and it's the same way with this process. We started with the feet of Jesus and this week we moved into um, connection and community with other people. Um, but yeah, it never, it always builds on being at the feet of Jesus. Um, and, and the way that works is like I use the analogy of a family, right? Like if you... If you want to get to me, okay, and you're just like, I want time with Jason, and you're serious about that, and you say, hey, we're going to have spend lots of time over the next month with Jason. I'm going to follow Jason like he's my rabbi. Eventually, you're going to run into my family. You don't get the father without the children, right? right. And so, it, well, and the example, look, Mary and Martha, right? She sat at the feet with his disciples. Um, when you look in Luke 10 at that story, there's nothing to indicate that it was just Mary and Martha and Jesus. The picture is he was out with his disciples doing ministry comes home, they're all there. The picture is Mary sitting at Jesus's feet placed her in the presence of Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and, and all of them with the disciples. It's the same thing. If we spend time at Jesus's feet, we're going to find ourselves naturally, but being even being drawn to spending time with the disciples. And that's, that's the process, right? That's how it leads to the other where, oh, I'm at Jesus's feet and then I find myself having questions. And so I go ask a question and then I meet somebody who has an answer or they have a story and other people. And so you just find yourself on this journey with other people, traveling with other people, which is exactly what Jesus did. I was talking to, uh, I had coffee this morning with, with a couple of guys and we were talking about that very thing. You know, we have, okay, so you have Jesus's life. Jesus lived for 33 years. Um, and the story of Jesus's life, everything that we have in Jesus's life is contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's the same story, right? So if you take the longest of the Gospels, Matthew, 28 chapters, okay? So we have Jesus' 33 years told in 28 chapters, so not very much, but really it's just the last three years. Right. So if I were going to write the story of your life, Ricky, the three years of your life, mm -hmm. um, 
Can I pick which three years? Sure, right, right. But even if we said the most consequential three years of your life, the idea is it would um, probably take more than 35 pages. So yeah. we have 35 pages of Jesus. And if you look at Matthew, like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all one sermon, right? So that's eight pages right there. The big idea is we don't have a record of most of what Jesus did. What we have is Jesus in Bethany, and then the next chapter, Jesus in Jerusalem, then Jesus in Bethsaida, right? And so most of Jesus's life was spent walking around. Today, it's in the cars, right? Like yeah. in traffic, right? And so that's where you just go, like traffic is the discipleship context for today, walking around, going going places. The idea, you know, and Jesus went to a lonely place to pray often, right? We find Jesus escaping, getting away, doing all that, to go be with Father Always then, back down the mountain with the disciples where Jesus gets to be Jesus. That's that's the process. You spend time with Father so that we can spend time with Jesus. Because if I'm not with time with Jesus and I'm time with other people, I'm judgmental, I'm cranky, I'm angry, right? But when I go to Jesus and go, man, Jesus really loves me because Jesus really loves people, therefore I should be like him. I need to love people too. But it's not enough to just go, I need to be like that. It's at the feet of Jesus where Jesus puts that love into my heart right. so that I'm literally loving people with Jesus's love. And our statement that we do every uh, Sunday morning, badly broken, deeply loved, um, you made a comment yesterday that that turns the crowd into community because we are all badly yeah. broken yeah. and we are all deeply yeah. loved by our Savior. Yep. Yeah, that's important. Um, the church is a gathering of people who, whether they know it or not, accept it or not, believe it or not, their primary identity is a group of people loved by God so much that He saved them. Right. That that's it. You and I right now, we're doing a we're doing a podcast. We're in my office. You came from a place. I came from a place. You're going to a place. I'm going to a place. All of those things, and yet, fundamentally, this is what I believe. And this is right. And fundamentally, our identity is two people who God so loved so much that he sent his son to save us. That's that's how it is, right? And that, anything else, and you start getting all these weird distinctions, right? Like, well, oh, I went to this college and you didn't go to college, right? Well, now we're not the same. Like, now we're on different pages. Or, or uh, I'm English, Irish, and you're Mexican. And you know what I mean? Like, and you can find all of these different ways to separate us and divide us. Right, right. Or we can just go, nope, nope. You are, you know, whatever these these divisions are, um, but first and foremost, we are loved by Jesus and given the grace of salvation. If I don't see you like that, I'm not going to ever end up in the place that God wants me to end up with you. Yeah, because you said if being in the presence of Christ or Jesus brings grace, so should being in our presence. Yeah. So if we're really going to be Christ-like and, you know, show the love of Jesus and the grace that was given to us, every time we have that interaction with people, it should start with that grace. That's the question, really, ultimately, what is this all about, right? Okay, God left eternity, the worship of all the angels, right? That's where Jesus was before, right. since before, in the beginning. And he left here to do, and he gave his life for what? And so there's, while there's some truth to the idea, he came and died for me. And if it was just me, he would have done it anyway. I believe that that's mm -hmm. true. It's never less than that. But if that's all that it is, like it creates this kind of selfish, hedonistic, individualistic kind of deal where Jesus just cares about what's happening to me. And the reality is nobody in the first century, nobody who lived through, through, the, through the gospels, through Paul's writing, they wouldn't have thought about that because they 
they were God's people, Israel. Right? Right. They, they always thought in context of people. You didn't have to convince them, hey, you need to be in community. They talked about, I'm. what do they say, right? I'm a child of Abraham, right? They thought of themselves in terms of family. That was their metaphor. Right. A son of Abraham, son of God, son of Abraham, right? We're all, Jesus said it all the time. You tell the Pharisees, you think, you think because you're a child of Abraham, you're a child of these promises, right? And what Jesus was saying is like, like, he didn't say you don't need that, but he was just saying like it goes it goes beyond that. In the United States, our our icons are the Marlboro Man, right, and John Wayne, and, and you know, and all that. And so it's hard for us to it's hard for us to get past that. But what people in the world are looking for are grace, and grace is it's relationships. It's it's got to be. You can't offer grace outside of the context of relationship because it always deals with another person, right? right. And so if I go. God's love, God's purpose was to um, undo the fall, right? Because ultimately, that's a deal. There was pre-fall and post-fall, right? Pre-fall, Adam and Eve in the garden with God, doing their work, enjoying God's presence, reflecting His goodness into creation. Grace, right? Because right. we were created, He did that. He gave us the grace to do that. That His calling from the beginning was grace, not not like forgiveness, grace. But then there's the fall and the kick out. And what did He tell Adam and Eve? He said, He told Adam, "Your work is going to be." Um, putting futility in your work. You're right. going to work and you're going to produce food by the sweat of your brow. It wasn't like that before. Before everything was already um, blooming. He told Eve, I'm going to, you're going to have pain in childbirth and your your desire is going to be for your husband and you know and all these things. And so what Jesus came to do was undo the effects of the fall. He didn't come to take us away from work. He didn't come to take us away from relationships, away from family. He came to restore it to what right. it was supposed to be like at first, like that's, that's the deal. And so when we just go, man, I just want Jesus and the kingdom on my own terms. I just want to show up and learn about the things that I want to know and know all the things and, and go do all that. It's, it is, uh, or even I just want to be at the feet of Jesus, but I don't ever want to have to deal with other people. It doesn't, that's kind of not, that's kind of right. not the thing. Cause love is going to cost. Oh yeah, it does. Especially if you want to love as jesus loved us i don't know how to get to that like i don't like that's the point i think as a communicator like how do you communicate these really important things and i don't know how to um undo our common um our cultural understandings and biases and, and perspectives on on what love is right it's just i think it's so short and flawed and that first corinthians 13 passage is so beautiful and and poetic and big and beautiful and it really you know when you read the whole thing it really it puts everything in perspective but it's really difficult to get to get that um yeah love is costly you think about um raising your kids which i think is the closest approximation um to divine love for us that i can get i i love my i love my wife i adore her but it's different than 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 kids right um and to love my kids is costly right it costs me time it costs me lots of money it costs me all of these things right to show them that i love them but it's not just to show them that i love them to be their friend but it's to help them like i love them so i discipline them i right. love them so i don't let them just go wherever they want whenever whenever they want um but you can see this in in our culture, right? This kind of uh, permissiveness, right? Like, oh, well, they can go. I love them. I'm just going to let them do it. Well, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible. Um, that's not. That's not love. It's right. not softening something. Well, I love them, so I'm going to let them do whatever I want. Would you let them? You know jump into an alligator pit no even if they really wanted to i use the analogy of the street right like when my kids were little and they of course they want to run the across the street because the fun's always somewhere else right, right? it's right. A, the grass is always greaner always greener yeah but because i'm a 
parent who loves my kids, I don't let my kids play in rush hour traffic, no matter how bad they want to, right. because I love them. I'm going to protect them um, because of love. And that's what, that's what love is too. The idea that we would be in any kind of relationship that doesn't cost us, it doesn't mean that there's not. Yeah. It just means that that's not love. That's not, which is fine. Like I don't need to, I don't need to have that kind of love with the people, the parents on my kids little league team it's okay if we just get together and watch our kids and then and then go home but there needs to be somebody multiple somebodies in my life aside from i think my wife and kids because my wife i love her my wife is not my accountability partner i do not want my wife reminding me of all of the things that i need to do right i that that's not it um but i do need people for me i need guys in my life telling me that I can just go, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm wrestling with this. That will tell me, yeah, you need to, you need to not do that. That's that's yeah. not it. How can I pray for you, right? But I also need women in my life. I need kids in my life. I need all of that. And of course, it's costly. Of course, I always want to do something else, right? Um, I don't want to do hard things, but I need to do hard things. And I was created to do hard things. Yeah, that's important because grace isn't something that the world gives you. It's not produced by the world. It's something that you know God has sent. You know, He sent His Son to to give us that grace and that peace because he could have easily said no. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest difficulties in the whole system is we don't know what it looks like. It's so kind of foreign to us. I think that's why the church and Christianity is so prone maybe to um, to kind of producing Pharisees. Pharisees have, have keep coming up a lot because we don't really understand. Grace makes us nervous, right? Because we assume that everybody's going to, that it's going to be abused, right? Like if we just give grace, if we just let our kids get away with anything, that's the thought, right? Yeah. But I don't think letting our kids get away with anything is grace. I think grace is anything that draws us to the feet of Jesus, right? So discipline is grace. When I just say, I'm not going to let you get away with being I said not being accountable to anybody feels really good at first right, right. but when I just go no I'm not going to let you do that I'm not going to let you escape I'm not going to make it easy for you to escape right. at the end of the day everybody's got to do their own thing right everybody's got boundaries I can't control you I can't control that but I do know the primary reasons that I hear and, and listen it's not just that I hear for me like I, so here's my deal I'm an introvert yeah people don't have a hard time believing that I'm an introvert I have Lots of energy, but I'm an introvert. I go home on Sundays and I take long naps because I'm tired, right? And I don't have a huge um, kind of relational capacity. Like, or not capacity, not the right word, but I don't have a huge relational need. I don't need to have a bunch of different kind of people. I can... Uh, uh, this is one area where I think like Nick Fox and I, are, uh, Pastor Nick, are are kind of different. We're, we're him and I are very similar. We're both introverts, but Nick is, despite being an introvert, he he needs community. He thrives yeah. on having people close to him that he knows and loves. I'm I'm kind of not right, and so it's always easier for me to not do it. And and so I look at the, the the excuses that I come up with, and it's the same ones that I hear. Right, life's just too busy. I don't have I don't have time. Uh, to do it i don't have um or i went to that thing and the people are crazy or 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 whatever all of and and all of those things here's the uncomfortable part those are all values yeah i value myself more than i value community i value my time more than whatever and i think about my kids like so i have three kids and they're all at different phases in life and they all have stuff that they want to do and we've had to navigate this for us right jackson plays baseball and reagan plays softball and she's a cheerleader and she's great at school and madison is now in theater and she's doing all these things right and so there's every temptation for us to go you know a thousand miles an hour but we've just decided like we're not we're not going to 
do that. And so we put limits on it. My kids play, they do one thing at a time. Yeah. One thing, you're not playing six different leagues, you're not playing five different sports. We do one thing because, and listen, this is not, I'm not, this is not a law. This isn't, there's no judgment in me. I'm not telling you if you, cause I don't know your context. I don't right. know your situation, where you are. There's no judgment. I'm this saying, works for you. but I'm saying for us, my life is never going to on its own tend towards healthy life-giving community. I'm going to tend towards being alone on my couch watching a TV show. Yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't serve me well. I'm not better in those contexts. So I've just had to say, listen, I value that and so I'm going to put it in place. And here's the thing, we have a small group. Now that I lead a small group, um it is there's nothing about it that is my instinctive, right? That just goes, "You know what, Jason, I really want to have a bunch of people in my house tonight, right? Like I don't, I don't naturally, I have never, when a small group is over, gone, that wasn't valuable. Right. That, that wasn't valuable. I, I adore my community and they challenge me and they, and they love us. But mostly I'm like, there's an energy in my home that I want. I'm not drawn towards it, but you know what? I'm sinful. Yeah. There's a reason I'm not drawn for it. The reason I'm not drawn for it is because I want to put me first. first yeah. And Jesus is like, great. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Um, and it's not to become a doormat. This is one of those kind of paradoxes that it's difficult to live in. It's not become a doormat. It's not let anybody walk over you. But it does mean the things that it's going to take to get where Jesus wants to lead me means that I'm going to have to get used to telling myself no. no. Yep. And that's and that it's not only that I can't escape from that in my better moments when I really am dialed into what Jesus wants. I don't I don't want to escape that. I know just saying yes to myself will leave me isolated alone. And I can see it in my life when I'm depressed, when I'm sad, when I'm anxious, when I'm all of that. I, I just got to hide and retreat, and it just and it doesn't get better because all I'm doing is staring at my problems. And what I need in that moment, what I what I feel like I need in that moment is people to pay attention to me. Yeah. Almost never is that what I need. Rarely is my instinct. I need more people to get in me. Like sometimes I do, but for the most part, what I need is to show up in a room and just go, oh man, the whole world is not even about me. Yeah. Right. I need to give grace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think we start with, we use the analogy of a funnel, right? We start with a deposit. God gives us grace in calling us. God gives us grace in salvation, right? It all starts with his grace. So now my little funnel, I have a grace deposit and there's grace in my funnel. So now the question is, where am I going to put that? But if I don't put it anywhere and just like, oh, this grace feels so good. I need more grace. I think for a while that comes, right? And we'll yeah. feel it and we'll see God answering our prayers and, and we'll have a sense of his presence, right? But after a while, he's like, you don't need more grace. You need to go give that away, Yeah, what I've what I've given you, right? Uh, and so... And then we get angry and then we get spiteful and then we get well, all where are the you, things. God? Yeah. Where, yeah. where are you, God? Don't you... like? And that's the thing. Oh, I don't feel God anymore, right? Because you're just sitting in a room waiting for... He's he's He left heaven to come here. He's not going to leave that job undone, right? Yeah. And the re he did that. He put it in us to get it out. He... John 21 is one of my favorite chapters in the scripture where Jesus goes to Peter. Peter denied him three times. Jesus goes, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep, right? If I put this in like the way that I would want it to be, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, yes, I love you. Jesus is like, great, then we're going to hang out here at the fire forever. And I'm just going to tell you all of the things that I really like about you and all the things that are really good and nothing's ever going to be hard. But Jesus said, do you want my love, right? And, and 
assumed an experience of this love. If you want to experience my love, get out there. Yeah. It begins at Jesus' feet, right? You got always. It's always about Jesus' feet. But Jesus told us in Matthew 28 at the end, right? You have the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that is, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the, the it was written in Greek, and the translations of that are, it's like, I am with you always, every moment of the day, and I am always with you, right? So we have to acknowledge being at the feet of Jesus. But if there's time with Jesus in the living room, Mary, right? But there's also a lot of time with Jesus walking around as you're going, as you go, freely you receive, freely you give. I, I, I think that one of the great inhibitors of our experience of God's love in our lives and our community is, is this, is the failure to connect with other people mm-hmm. in a spiritually significant way all the time. My small group is an, is an example of this um, because like, I'm a normal guy. I'm prone to self-doubt, self-criticism, all this stuff. And so I will, maybe not often, but regularly have these things. I'm just like, what is going, what is it? God, you're not doing anything. Like where, look, what am I doing, Lord? Am I just wasting your time? Am I wasting everybody's time? But I sit in a, I go to a small group meeting and I'll hear somebody in my small group talk about how they're looking for a job. And what do they say? I, I have a peace because I we're praying and I know that God is in it. And I look at it and just go, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's a person in this world who doesn't, like they don't have an income right now and they've got a family. But rather than freaking out, rather than burning everything down, they're looking at Jesus. That's grace. And I yeah. look at that and go, bro, I need that. I need, I need more of that. I need some of that. And so I, I don't, if you could do it a different way, I think Jesus would have. But Jesus came and I was talking about this at my coffee meeting. Jesus was really inefficient. Right, like you yeah. spend three times, and you, you spend three years building a ministry, and when you leave, there's a hundred people in the upper room. Like you go into 120 people in the upper room, and I look at, him, I'm just like, well, we're better than that, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're doing, we're doing it. But, but I, I think Jesus wasn't nearly as concerned with efficiency as right. we are. I think Jesus was concerned with real. And he was, and he was kingdom. The kingdom's different. He's like, if it's eternal, if it lasts forever, then what does it matter if it takes a year here or two years or three years or five years or 50 years? It's nothing compared to eternity, right? And so when I invest in those, those things, community, grace, people, um, it is, it's, and it takes a long time. It is tethering me to the eternal. It's forcing myself to say, yeah, in my instinct, I want to give a 10 minute lesson and have everybody get it and go away. But when I just say, nope, I'm giving myself to, to something that takes a long time, that makes me uncomfortable, um, that I'm not going to always have the answer for, that I'm not going to want to do, but I'm going to do it because I believe it's eternal. When I give myself to that, it reinforces in my brain and in my heart, the eternal is real. Yeah. So I don't, so I'm just not going, is this even real? What you, you doubt and you wonder sometimes you just go, well, I'm giving my whole lifetime. I'm betting it all on that. I'm betting it all that it is. And then you, you know, then you get it. Then it, you start to just go, oh, no, I, I see it's real. I, I believe that it's real. So, yeah, we receive this grace, and we've got to give it. And the only way to do it is in community. And as you do it, you, you see it. Because we're all called to each other. We're all I know. called yeah. to, to be yep. with one another. You mentioned the Church of Antioch yesterday. Christians. And every time you said Antioch, I kind of giggled inside because I remembered Monty Python and, you know, the Holy Hand Grade 8. Yeah, that's good. But you mentioned <laughs> how he... Um, how you know go out and heal the sick and or heal the leopard and yep. you know cast out demons Not the leopard the leopards have spots leper the lep sorry <laughs> not the cats <laughs> don't go heal the cats you can if you uh, got that I, gift yeah, bro i, I want to see it <laughs> but um, ricky you're the best you know go raise the dead yeah and you know none of us have done that can you imagine peter's face when jesus said that 
Peter's the ultimate pragmatist, right? And and okay, I want you to go heal the sick. And at first, you're like, well, maybe. Cleanse the let raise the dead. Like Jesus, what are you talking about? Right. What are you talking about? But they did it. Yeah, they went. And I read that, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, if I had the faith and the grace and the peace like Jesus did, then you know, sure. You know, that same spirit that lived in him lives in me and whatnot. But then you said, you know, giving someone life but we do that by sharing the gospel yeah by yeah. being the disciples because we give them everlasting life yep so i do th- okay so uh this is a good like interpretive situation um i believe i believe in the miracles of jesus yeah. i believe when we read that jesus multiplied loaves and fish that it was there were actual five actual fish and two actual loaves and jesus actually fed all of that. And so I want to, um, I'm, I try to be pretty slow to just, um, spiritualize or allegorize, yeah. um, the kind of miracles and stuff like, cause you don't want to take attention away from the, from the power of it. Right? right. But when I'm looking at it and just, and going, okay, so what do I do with this in my life? Right. Uh, Jesus has never asked me to, uh, to raise the dead because so, well, for a couple of reasons, he's never asked me to raise the dead because, Everybody in the New Testament and the Old Testament who is raised from the dead, and it happens several times, they're all, all dead. dead, right? Yeah. So it's so so it's not physical in this in this life, right? I think that the point of Jesus saying to raise the dead, it was a sign like the kingdom is here and it's and it's different, right? They didn't have a church on every corner, they didn't have a Bible in every in every living room. That right. they didn't have that, right? They had to show, hey, something something is going on that's that's uh, that's different here. And so when I look at that and go, yeah, so what does that mean for us? I do think the message of the kingdom is there's life there's new life we looked at that second corinthians 5 passage right where he just says there's the old is gone the new has come you're a new creation and that truly is life and so when we talk to people or we talk in our communities um it is not just intellectual stuff i i believe that god is changing a life that doesn't worry about provision because it knows that god is going to provide you do what you you do what you can do here right and that's new life can you imagine if the church wasn't like all not just river city but the church capital c church all the christians everywhere if we just through some infusion of the spirit or through um radical discipline and practices if we all just got to a place where we weren't afraid anymore we weren't afraid of the president we weren't afraid of the government we weren't afraid of the economy we weren't afraid of foreign powers it doesn't mean we're not going to die we're all going to die we're all going to die someday right your yeah. protection is a is a farce right your your sense of control in the world it's not real you don't control the nothing right and so it's aligned with reality someone's in control and it's not me i want to find who it is i believe that that's god right god of the bible and his son jesus and his holy spirit right so if i can align with that then that's the closest to reality that I'm, that's the closest to reality that I'm going to get. And so I want to be there. What was the question that I started rambling on and got away from? We were talking about raising the dead. Oh yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that I don't need to actually physically raise people from the dead. I want to get to them before they get to that place. And I want to talk to them about being alive means not being afraid. Being alive means not, um, being a slave to people's opinions. It means, it means living and walking in, in grace. And guess what? You're going to die. I, I wish, I, I don't even wish to tell you that it was going to be different. I want everybody within the sound of my voice to meditate long and hard. You're going to die someday. And when you die, people will be sad. Yeah. They will grieve you and they will move on. Hopefully you'll be with, with Jesus. 
But the time to deal with life is is four. And the time to figure out what is and just decide, am I here for 80 years or am I built for eternity? Because if you're built for eternity, it's it's different. You got to yeah. do different things. And all of those people, all of those people, my assumption is within the church, some percentage, large or small, say large, a large percentage of the people, my hope is at River City Church, are going to be with me for eternity. Eternity. It yeah. would be wise to get to know them now. Yeah. Right? To yeah. to to deal with now. And and in heaven there all the sin is going to be washed away, all the, the you know, the selfishness and all that stuff. But but bro, if I spend my entire life running from people, what about heaven is going to be attractive to me? Yeah. And that's the deal, right? Like this whole idea that consider this. Heaven and earth, there's going to be a lot of continuity there. Jesus yeah. talked about right a new Jerusalem coming down. Well, we know what the old Jerusalem is like. It's got economy. It's got streets. It's got homes. It's got people. There's commerce. There's all of those things. So when Jesus talked about the new Jerusalem coming down, people understood. Like they didn't know exactly new. What's new about it? Is right. it shiny? Whatever. But he talked about cities. He talked about, yeah, economy, right? So he created this world, right? He created this. And so this world is our training for, for eternity. For eternity. Yeah. Um, and we'll either be ready for it, our training will either prepare us for it or it won't. If our training in this world revolves around getting as much as I can into my coffers so that I can have as much as I want at all costs, well, you're not ready for heaven. Right. Right, because heaven is a place where everything is given. It's not right. It's amazing grace and all that. And so, the way I discipline myself to be in Jesus's presence right now is by receiving the grace that He gives me. And part of the grace that He gives me is the grace of being able to get grace into the world. That's the original design. God created the garden, and it was blooming and it was growing. And He put Adam in and said, "Be fruitful and multiply." I've created you in my image. Be fruitful and multiply. Now you can't, Adam. God's you can't create an orange tree from nothing. That's my God. That's what that's what I do. But you can pick the orange and make sure that the seeds get where you want it. And yeah. you can create this new, right? In the same way with our communities. You can't literally fill the world with children, right? The reproductive limitations are real, right? But what you can do is you can speak grace over every broken life. You can show up into um, a small group and pray for people and encourage them and bring a loving word of gentle correction or, or or whatever it is, and that creates something new. That creates a picture and a foretaste of the kingdom, what it's going to be like eventually. It's in sm- putting in a small part what God's going to do in large part later. later. And so our community is not, and this is the thing I don't know that pastors do well, and I, this is one of the things I wrestled with writing this message. Like, what do we need? Do we need information? Like, do we need a new theology of of community? And I don't, I don't know. I I don't like the word. I feel like the word community in church has become a buzzword, yeah. right? Because community means small, which is which is another buzzword, buzzword. which yeah. is a you know, and a small group is a collection of people doing a curriculum. They come in and they go, and they generally like each other, or it's affinity based, or it's or it's whatever. And I think that's a great start. It's the only way and the only place that it can start. But you can do all of that without grace. Yeah, because um, you're all the same. You all believe the same. Yeah. They all look like me, talk like me, yeah. walk like me, think like me, which, and again, it's hard. We live in, you know, that's kind of the culture, right. but for lack of a better term, community, right, doesn't rest there because it's easy. They do stuff together. They yeah. they pray for each other. They they expect grace to be given and, and received. Yeah. But you said yesterday that you have a community everywhere you go. I have a community oh, yeah. at work. Yep. I have a community in my neighborhood. Yep. I have a community if I, you know, little league and you know, soccer league, whatever league, it's your community. Yep. 
And we're supposed to show grace in those communities. So if we're different, you know, if we come to church and we're like, you know, I love everybody, you know, I'm good, I'm great and whatever. And then you get into the little league and you're yelling at the umpire. Yep. yep. Which you, I do. Sorry, umpires. Forgive we pray for you all the time. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you don't show grace there. Yeah. You're just yeah. you're just proving a lot of people that are cynics or don't believe or got hurt by the church that yes. that's right. Yep. You're going to yep. yell just like I'm yep. going to yell. So this Christianity that you so profess to be is just the world, but you yep. just, you know, play it on Sunday. I think it's both. And I think that's, I think that's a really great point, right? It's got to be both. So I think you need to have your, like your, um, small group, right? The group of people who we know what's going on. We know right. that we're receiving grace from Jesus, right? It's the grace to be saved. It's the grace to go. We're receiving all of that grace in us. So we know what's going on from that. We go out in the world. And the idea is the grace that we receive in that place from God through others, right? Grace to be forgiven, grace to grow, all that. We receive grace from God through people, but it doesn't stop there. That now becomes the grace that we, we some of it gets circled back into the, to the group, right? Into the community. But I take now that grace and I go to my job and I go to my little league team and I go to whatever, as you're going, right? Whatever those places are. And I now have a fresh load of grace to get in. And so it's it's at a different pace and a different level. But what happens is our cultures start to be transformed by grace. And I feel like it's easy to get away from that, right? Like it, you go to church and you get information, right? And it's and that's what, oh, you know, it's got to be deep or, you know, whatever, whatever the metaphor is. And what we mean is hard information. Listen, the great commandment is hard enough. Love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor. I don't need more information, right? I need to go do with what I've got before, right? I don't think the world's problem with the church is that we don't know enough. I don't think the world's problem with the church is that we can't, you know, answer their questions about creation. Um, I think the world's problem with the church is that we don't love them. We don't actually believe that the kingdom of love and grace is among us. Right. Right. We think that the kingdom of being right and winning is among us. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to win by being right. And I, and, and I think that's a uniquely kind of Western phenomenon. I don't think that's necessarily always true. It's not always necessarily true here, but I know like you go to China and you go to Cuba, like they can't do that. They yeah. don't have the privilege of meeting in a building like, like we do. And so the only thing they have is grace. And it gets them thrown in jail and it gets them, you know, persecuted and it gets, you know, and it gets all of that. If you talk to any kind of missionary with a global, like a sense of the church globally, and you, because this is the question I ask if someone's a missionary or whatever, I ask, what's the church like in wherever you're going? Talk to somebody who's a missionary in the, in the Middle East, in yeah. Iran, and they'll tell you that the, that the church in Iran, despite, like, it's Iran, right? Yeah. It's it's exploding, and it's coming through all you know through dreams and through miracles and through through all this depth, like first century first church kind of stuff, um, which is which is great, and it's and it's all grace, and we don't have that here, I think, because we have church on every corner and, and right. all that, right? And so, I mean, even if you think about the first church, like they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have Paul's letters. They had, I mean, Paul was writing the letters, but right. for the most part, they didn't they didn't have that. They devoted Acts 2, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the few things that they were saying, right? To And to the fellowship, to yeah. the breaking of bread and prayer. That's what they devoted themselves to. That's what they gave themselves. And then you go in Acts 4, right? What did it look like? They sold what they had and they gave it. Like we, there's this kind of theological tension. Well, tithe. And it was like, tithe is Old Testament. That's great. Let's be New Testament. They sold everything and they mm -hmm. gave everything. And again, 
it's not communism. It's not compelled. They're not forced to do that. It's better. They chose to do it. They said, nothing that I have is my own. If my brother or my sister is in need, that's grace. That's the church. And that's one that said everybody kept, all throughout the first part of Acts, they kept feeling, feeling a sense of awe, awe and wonder. They had awe and wonder. Because they step back and like, look, I don't even know what those guys are preaching. They're preaching about resurrection, which is weird. They don't have this full theology. Is it Judaism? Is it whatever? I don't know about all of that. But I can't quit looking at it because they love each other. Yeah. I mean, they give and it costs them and it's sacrificial and it's like that. That's the love that changed the world. That's the beauty that changed the world. That's that's what it's supposed to look like. Nobody is like, dang, bro, those guys get up early on Sunday and they go sing four songs and hear some guy rant for 45 minutes and go home and watch football. And I need more of that in my life. It's not condemnation and criticism of everybody. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. What difference does that make Sunday morning? Does it make on my life? Well, part of the, the difference that it makes is it, for, it pushes me. It helps me realize I need to be in a smaller group of people, right? I can't love the room on Sunday. In the second service, I think there was... 185 people there in second service yesterday yeah. in the room. I can't love all those people, right? If somebody's there and they're having a tragedy or they're struggling or their faith is in crisis right now, I promise you they're not getting the attention and the love and the grace that they deserve on Sunday morning. They may, I hope they hear a message that is good and powerful right. and touches them. And I believe that God can speak to them. I can believe that God can heal spontaneously, but I believe what God wants us because he's not in it for the efficiency, right? right? He's in it because he wants us to go, you have that need and the solution is me from God through others. Yeah. So your mom is dying and you're sad and you're grieving. Come, I'll pray for you. I literally, I'll pray for you every Sunday along with the 30 other people that are standing behind you in line. God has more for you than that. Yeah. Go be with people who will pray for you and check on you and go to the hospital with you and send flowers to the funeral and, and all of those things. That's that's the church. Yeah. And when we see we don't but we don't see it. We see the same divisions, right? Red and blue, political divisions or socioeconomic divisions, and we fight over what schools our kids go to or whatever. That's not grace. Right. That's not the thing that makes the world step back and go, I need more of that. That's I think the thing that makes the, the world step back and go, I don't need that. I've already got all that. The difference is if I'm not in church, I can say all the words that my faith doesn't I can demean yeah. to people. I get, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that. And so this community thing the feet of Jesus is different. You can never get away from that. But a community, the idea of community then is that it's a community at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. The power of that, revival comes from that, right? Like like great culture-wide momentum happens when yeah. people in community. It's a change. It's a shift. Yes. When Because here's the deal, right? If I'm in a group of people, if I've got 15 people that I know, number one, they're committed to me. They're not going anywhere. They're not judging me. They're committed to me. They love me. In that community, I can confess my sins and I can have people that will pray for me. And I go, oh, you know, so now, and that's what's coming up this week is this whole idea when we're in community with people, our character begins to show. And people kind of think, I think in the church, we think that's what God really cares about is our character. And I think he does, but he's frustratingly, you know, maybe inefficient in this, right? Like he just, he knows character change takes a long time. So yeah. he so his deal is if you'll, if you'll go to the places and do the things, if you'll be at my feet with people receiving and giving grace, the character change will happen. If I go, I've got to stop this thing, whatever. Good luck. Yeah. You can't change your heart. You can't do it. Willpower is a myth. It's a myth. Nobody's got will. Willpower has, people have willpower for the things that they already want to do. Yeah. People who quit smoking by willpower. It's because I, they wanted to quit It's because they wanted to quit. At that point, it was quit. Like I used to, I used to do all that. I used to dip and smoke, whatever. And you try to quit and try to quit and you can't. I quit, I quit dipping when I had a health scare. And I was like, if I don't quit, 
I'm going to die and I don't want to die right now. So I'm going to quit and I'm going to stop. At that moment, I, I didn't have willpower. People who feel guilt and shame over what they don't need willpower. They need, they need different power. And yeah. that comes from grace from the father through his people into me. And then I become part of his people who are now grace distributors. Wouldn't it be great if every person I met, every person I got to know in the church, outside of the church, when I left, their take was, man, that guy gives grace. I'm going to give an example of this. My son Jackson worked at a place and, and something came up. Um, and and it, it didn't go it didn't go the way that he ex- that expected to. He was shown so much grace. People were just like, listen, we gotta we gotta walk this out, right? Like, here's the deal. But you're coming back from this, and it was the most beautiful life giving. And here's the thing that I've watched in my son. My son's my he got it. I didn't have to just say be like Jackson. That was grace, and they showed you grace. He knew. Yeah, he's different. He's been changed and transformed by grace. And he was already he's an unbelievable kid. I love him to death, right? Yeah. But he. He got it. Grace from other people, it, it changes us. And if we don't get grace from other people, I will never believe that Jesus wants to give me grace if his right. people don't. It's always fun to watch. It's fun to watch when people give grace and the reaction that mm-hmm. other people are, you know, they're expecting a blow up or they're expecting whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, grace. Yep. Chuck Swindoll said, any pastor who insists on preaching true biblical grace from the pulpit will be accused of heresy yeah it's that it doesn't seem fair like that's the thing is it goes i I want well we talked about it last week right i want mercy for me and judgment for the but grace is like and that that's the thing that we talked about you got to live in the world that you create yeah if you want a world where i receive grace for all of my failures and shortcomings and sins and weaknesses great the way that god gets grace into the world is through his people and so if i want grace i gotta be i gotta be about grace If, you know, if the church wants to be, if we want the world to be transformed, well, we're the solution. There is no institution created by man that can, that can do that, that can change the human heart. It, it takes transformation by God. And I believe the mechanism is grace, right? Because he, Jesus came and he could have done it anyway. He could have turned over. He could have gone to Rome and overthrown and put his guy or sat on the throne in Rome and done that. He didn't. He came and called 12 overlooked has-beens unqualified unqualified right simon the zealot who left to his own desires would have murdered matthew but he didn't jesus is like you guys are together now peter who's a fisherman who's going to drive and he's with judas iscariot right and and so you look at all these people that's the way that jesus did it and he could have done it anyway and then he freaking left that's the favorite part he split he's like three years he's like you guys got it like 20 minutes after peter's denying like i don't even know the guy and jesus like now you're ready. Here's the thing. This is beautiful. Are you ready? Here's the thing. So you read, uh, I guess it's John 19 or 20, Peter's denial. Peter says, I never I never knew him. I never knew him. I never knew him. Then you get to Jesus dies, he's resurrected. You get to John 21. And so there's, so what is it in John 21? Um, did Jesus, when he's like, hey, if you love me, feed my sheep, right? Did Jesus go, okay, Peter, you learned from that and now you're strong enough to go out? No. Jesus, Peter's failure was the condition yeah. for Jesus calling him. If Peter's response to that was, okay, Jesus, now I got it. Now I'll never leave you. Peter's still not qualified for it, right? Like that's the thing. When we look at people's weaknesses, we go, oh man, if if they could just get over, if they could just get over that, then boy, then they'd be really useful to Jesus. And I'm like, Moses had a stutter. He couldn't talk. Uh, Paul was, you know, short and bald and he had he had big, you know, eye problems and all stuff like this. Peter's failure was the condition. Yeah. 
it was that. And I'm not saying that we got to go out and try to sin and try to deny Jesus. We've just got to come to terms with the fact that the mission is bigger than us and it takes grace in order to do it. Grace from God through others to do it. Listen, here's the deal. If I think however many people were there yesterday, if they don't show me grace, we don't get to do this. Yeah. Right? And so the only thing that makes it work is grace. And I know I understand the human instinct to try to be good, right? To try to make righteousness about my moral behavior. The problem is the definition of what morality means changes every 25 years. In the 50s, my grandparents, they I don't know that they ever went to a movie or played cards because you just didn't do that, right? Yeah. I play cards as often. Listen, if you want to invite me to your poker game, I will love to come play poker. And I love, and I love to... Go to movies and do all that stuff, right? So if it's about righteousness and morality, well, well, that's important, but that's the fruit, yeah, right? Like that's what grace produces: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against uh, uh, you know about these things, there's no law. So how, why is it that playing cards, my grandfather not playing cards, isn't wasn't a sin, wasn't a thing, right? Because it doesn't have anything to do with love, joy, peace, patience, kind of like you cannot play cards and be a jerk and not be like not be like Jesus at all. But I love, I give grace. I love, I'm kind. I'm you know all of those things. And so that's what grace. That's what grace does is it changes us. I just hate that it starts with grace and takes so long. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that I think that's it for all of us. If it's if it's a race to see who can be the best, we all lose because there's only one. It's Jesus. He's it. That's it. It's only Jesus. All Jesus, only Jesus, all the time. All the time. We are called to one another. We're called to give grace to one another. We receive grace that we don't deserve, but we should pour it out unconditionally and just give it to the world because that's what we are called to do. There is no other... 2 Corinthians 5, right? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Like that, when you... Okay, it's a... Valid question. Why do we do this? Why are we? Why did we buy property? Why are we putting a building up? Right at the end of it, because I'm not driven by numbers. I, right. I'm really not. I, like whatever we're doing, it's uncomfortable here. Right? There's not enough space. I want everybody to get. I, I want everybody to hear about Jesus. But I know having a bigger room doesn't get people to Jesus. Where I want them is at the foot at, at Jesus's feet. Right? Well, that's where the disciples are, and so that's all of us. But if we're not grace people, yeah. when new people come, we're going to go, can't sit here. There's no room here. Don't, you know what I mean? Like, and so then they won't, then they'll go somewhere else and, and the bar will always welcome yeah, them. Pretty building with no one there. Yep. 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 And so I like, I, I truly think people, I, I totally resonate and understand with you know, the dark, the dark night of the soul. And I believe that that's a part of our growth. I believe it's a part of everybody goes through it and, and we should do it. But for the most part, and that's why this is a process, right? If you're cold to Jesus, if you feel empty and dry, run the process. Spend time at the feet of Jesus every single day. You eat food every single day. You sleep every day because you need those things because they're vital for life. Spend time every day at the feet of Jesus. Read the word. Get a Bible study program. I I don't care. Figure it out, right? Like people who want to get healthy, they figure out how to lift weights. They figure out how to run. They figure out how to eat, right? Because they care about it because it's a value. Figure it out how to get close, spend time at the feet of Jesus. And then if you look at that and you just go, man, I've already got that. Like I'm doing that. Good. I believe you. I want you to know, I believe you. I believe you're all that. The next check in the process is, am I part of a grace-filled, grace-giving community of people that are helping me find and follow Jesus? If you're not, well, you're stuck. If you want to get beyond it, go receive and give grace from people. And you'll probably have to start. You'll probably have to give first. So do it. Just go, hey, I'm going to go be gracious. I'm going to do something for someone that they don't deserve and can't earn. 
And if we make that a habit and a practice, I think we'll start to see pretty quickly. Um, yeah, because the you, more you give, the more you receive. Yep, yep. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I'm just kind of recapping the sermon um, that we did yesterday. I uh, look forward to the next one. This whole series has kind of been life speaking to me. Um, just re- a good reminder of what the process is. You know, spend time with Jesus, you know, sit at his feet and, you know, just be there and then, you know, love people. Yep. Regardless of who yep. they are, regardless of what yep. they look like, regardless of who they vote for. You know, yep. people deserve the love because I deserve because I was given the grace that I didn't deserve so I should pour out that grace and here's a lead in for next week um, even as I sit here and talk about that it's hard yeah and so rather than feeling shameful and guilty about that just realize that the, that's that's the process right like becoming the people that we want to be in Christ flows through those things and and from those things and where I have was taught that I wanted to get right and the thing that I just going to go man why can't I why can't I do that why can't I act like that and be like that I know it's hard that's what we're going to talk about that's what we're going to talk about this Sunday about why it's hard and why that's the the idea we're supposed to do hard things yeah and so that's why so that's what's coming this week well I look forward to that one and I hope everyone has a great day and we'll catch you on the flip side